Hey everyone, this is William from A Fan's Perspective. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How to record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen on? How do I make money from this podcast? Well, guys, the answer was really easy. The answer was Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with a great sponsor who wants to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Guys, let me be real. Anchor has changed the way I look at podcasts. It made it really easy for me to get in there, start editing my stuff, and get it out to you. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money while doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear what you come up with in your podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to A Fan's Perspective. I'm here today with Mr. Joshua Gray. How you doing, man? Doing well. How's everybody doing today? Well, look man, I brought you in. I know you live up there in in, in beautiful Cleveland area. And um, I brought you in because here in a little while we're going to talk a little bit about and how the dog pen's looking this year. But there are a couple things I want to get to before we jump on that. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right, man. So what I just noticed, um, I was actually goofing off on the internet a little bit, and I noticed that, you know, the Bills cut ties with Nathan, Nathan Peterman because, I mean, to be honest with you, the dude couldn't stop throwing interceptions. Um, and I noticed that the Broncos are going to give this, this guy a tryout but my question, and maybe you can actually answer it for me, is with with a player that is as polarizing as, I hate to say it, Colin Kaepernick, um, that does have some success in the NFL, why bring in, do you think, Peterman, who, who has a history of turning the ball over versus maybe Colin Kaepernick, someone that uh, has made an appearance in the Super Bowl and, and has some success against an NFL defense? I mean – it's a fair question, but the thing is, is Nate, Peterman's been in, a, in an NFL offense this year. Callan Kaepernick yeah. has not been in an NFL offense in three years. Who knows what he's doing to stay in shape, stay prepared. Yeah, well, another thing I was looking at is the one good thing about Peterman, being a young player as he is, uh, you know, you do have Case Keenum over there who, uh, who let's be fair, took the took the Vikings on one heck of a run and I couldn't believe that uh that they cut ties with them but it, it would be nice to have a young player behind him uh to kind of you know get that that knowledge going and maybe the Broncos could possibly you know start a future behind those two um I'm still a little skeptical with anybody even giving Peter Peterman a chance again <laughs> um We'll wait, actually wait till he's actually signed by the Broncos. But, I mean, it's it was very, very tumultuous up there in uh, Buffalo for him. Not unlike uh, Case Keenum in uh, 
Uh, was it with the Eagles before he went to the Vikings? Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, he, I mean, he wasn't lighting the world up in Philly. Yeah, and and that's very true. And and it's interesting when you think about, uh, you know, you take a player and you literally just move them into a different program, and and it can make all the difference in the world. I mean, look at what Amari Cooper's doing right now in in Dallas. He didn't look anything like that when he was in Oakland, but he shows up in Dallas and and all of a sudden now they have a big hand for Dak Prescott to throw to. And, and he's kind of making a difference because so, since he's been there, you know, having that extra weapon there, they're actually winning. Yeah, we won't uh, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, talking about quarterbacks that have taken a step back, that's definitely Derek Carr. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I was actually completely shocked that uh, <clears throat> that the the Raiders organization took such a strong stand. And, and put out there that that we're not going to trade you uh that that to me was i mean yeah he had a great a great year but then he turned around and and this year hasn't been so hot um you know maybe they're just you know hoping next year he'll come in and have a hell of a year that, hopefully yeah as far as again peterman I mean, you look at what he did last year, that that one half where he threw those five interceptions in that one half. That's yeah. the thing. Yep. You look at that and you could say, well, it's the talent around him, but that's the same exact team that Tyrod Taylor took to the playoffs last year. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest cop-outs to me in the world is you see either a bad receiver or and, and the biggest culprit is quarterbacks is look at look at the unit he has to throw to. Well, you know, we see that some with receivers. You know, Amari Cooper could be argued that, you know, look who he had throwing to him in, in car. You know, I think that's the biggest cop-out in the world, though, is because you get paid millions of dollars to, to show up and do your job. And I know for me, I'm, I'm, I'm an armchair quarterback, so it sounds rather cavalier for me to, to sit here and be like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, they should just do their jobs, but I mean, let's let's be fair. That that's what they do. They they work out all week. They game plan, or they should be, and all they have to do is show up on Sunday and execute and try to avoid injury. Um, or am I looking at that the wrong way? I just, I mean, it's one of those things. that's easier said than done. And I yeah, mean, yeah. A quarterback does make everybody around them. Absolutely. Just look look at what's going on in Cleveland right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same players that were around Tyrod Taylor are now around Baker Mayfield, and it's now a world of difference. Yep. Now, so I do have to ask you, you know, because um, obviously you're, you're a Browns fan, but mm-hmm. the game going on tonight, Saints versus the Cowboys, you know, the Saints are 10-1 right now. Um, who has more to gain in that in that game? I know – the argument is, you know, the Saints are are ten and one. The Cowboys are six and five. Clearly, the Cowboys have more to gain. But I mean, is that, you know, is that the way to look at that? I, I mean, nobody in the NFC South is catching the New Orleans Saints. I mean, the next closest team is the Panthers, that are one game above five hundred. Yeah. It's it's most definitely the Dallas Cowboys who are fighting for their lives in uh, for a playoff berth, tied right now with the Redskins, and just will only one ahead of the Eagles. 
Well, and I don't think it's just for playoff burst. Honestly, I think Jason Garrett's whole stint or, or time left at Dallas depends on them making the playoff this year or, or making it past the first round of the playoffs, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dallas is getting – Jimmy Jones is getting – or Jerry Jones is getting real, real sick of those eight and eight seasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, there at the beginning of the season, a lot of pressure was thrown on – on Dak Prescott uh, because they weren't, they weren't let Ezekiel Elliott eat, if you will. They weren't feeding him the ball. I mean, I think he was averaging like maybe 20 touches for an entire game. Um, Which is far, far too, too few. Yeah. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have such a polarizing running back that can line up behind the quarterback and if you're not giving him enough touches, you you take away half your playbook immediately. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's been a story since college. If you don't give Ezekiel Elliott the ball, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, and I mean, Dak Prescott coming from Mississippi State, you know, he did. He was what helped make that program successful. Now, there were some, there were some decent players in, in the time he was there when they, when they set number one in the nation all of a couple weeks. But that was the first time that that program had done that, I think, ever. You know, I mean, they haven't won an SEC championship since 1945, I think. So to have Dak Prescott come into the Cowboys organization, I think a lot of people had that misunderstanding that he was going to be the immediate savior. You know, you had Tony Romo, who who was great during the regular season, but couldn't quite get him, you know, to that next level of the playoffs. And I think right. after that rookie season, that Dak Prescott had, everyone just thought, oh, man, you know, here we go straight to the promised land. And I, I, I argue with people all the time and try to tell them that's not how it works. You know, you, you can't see one good season and say, oh, man, you know, this is our quarterback of the future. And, and I'm a Dak Prescott fan, but he has looked rough at certain points during this season. Oh, most definitely. You know, so – so – we know the Cowboys, obviously, if they win tonight, right now, just as an update, they're up 13 to nothing, and we're at halftime. Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely – I watched the first part of that game, and they're definitely playing like they have the most gain by winning this game. Yeah, and I and, and think that's what I was, I was going uh, to say is that how much of a momentum builder and morale builder it would be to step in and take down the 10-1 Saints because, let's be fair – at 39 years old, Drew Brees is playing or having the season of his life right now. You know, short of 2009 when they won the Super Bowl, I mean, this is the next best season he's had. And between you and I and everyone listening, I I honestly see the Saints making it to the Super Bowl this year. I do too. I mean, they'll they'll have a they'll have another challenge again with uh, going through the Rams. Yeah, they've already proven once they can beat them. Well, and to be honest, I mean, the Rams are a schemed package-based group. I mean, they if you if you can learn what they're doing, I hate to say it, the Rams are dominant, don't get me wrong, but they they seem to I mean, they I think they follow the philosophy if it's not broke, don't fix it. And you know, you you can't consistently win that way cuz uh one thing Sean Payton and Drew Brees are good at is watching film. And, you know, if you can watch film on the Rams, you can you can see, you know, you see little nicks in the armor there. And I think that's what New Orleans did when they played them is is they went after those little nicks in, in the armor, per se, 
and got past them. Yeah, but also the Saints defense has a lot of nicks in their armor. Exactly. And 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 that's <laughs> they're they're one of the worst defenses <laughs> in the entire league. Yeah. If not the worst. Well, and and that's what blows me away is, you know, with the Saints now I'll, I'll say it for the past five years, if the Saints are going to win, they have to be lighting the scoreboard up offensively because defensively they're, they're just not strong enough to keep a close game close. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, we just started the third quarter, but Drew Brees hasn't passed for a touchdown. He hasn't looked like he has. And, and that's the problem with the Saints. If their defense isn't up and or if their offense isn't blowing up, their defense doesn't have, or they haven't shown that capability of scoring on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And I mean, it seems like the best teams in the league are following that, that strategy. You got your chiefs, you got your Rams and you got your, your saints. All of those defenses are hot garbage. Yeah, exactly. Now, (laughs) As evidenced by the Monday Night Football, 105 points scored. Look, that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, now we've seen it before when when those two quarterbacks played against each other in college. It was a high-scoring game, you know, uh, golf and Mahomes. But, I mean, you don't expect to see that on the NFL level because these guys – I mean, this is what they do. This is what they live for. Um, I mean, on co- in the college level, you know, you're going to have weak spots in the defense unless you're playing Alabama, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the NFL side, you, you don't – you're not used to seeing those basketball-style scores. Yeah. You know, so that, that was definitely interesting um, because, to be honest with you, I, I think if if anyone but Mahomes gets offensive player of the year, the NFL's crazy. Well, it all depends on how the last few weeks shape up. But yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that dude on pace to really come close to the touchdown record. <laughs> exactly. Um, now I'm going to go ahead and call it now. Um, be prepared, Atlanta. You guys get ready for the New Orleans Saints versus the Patriots in the Super Bowl because it's gonna happen. Homer, <laughs> it'll be like me saying, "Oh, it's gonna be the Saints versus the Browns. Browns are gonna go on a nine-game winning streak and win the Super Bowl." Well, I mean, for me, I look at what's going on in the East right now, and, and Philly's tanking. Um, it's it's I love that that saying, "Oh, how the mighty have fallen," because that embodies. Philadelphia this year you know they they were all the way up there last year with that Super Bowl win and then they turn around this year and and those fans are getting a small taste uh, of what they what they already have which is that losing mentality um honestly I thought bringing Carlson Wentz back in was a ridiculously dumb decision I know he's the guy that you plan on building your franchise around but you know your other quarterback as hot as he was in the playoffs and then in the Super Bowl, why don't you try to keep that going instead of trying to get Wentz back in sooner rather well, than Wentz later? Wentz was hurt. Wentz was hurt to start the season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nick Foles played the first three three weeks and just sucked. 
Well, I mean, to be honest, Carlson Wentz is doing much better. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that brings me to um, how this is. This is a little section I'm going to call Josh's Josh Gray's Browns advice. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about your Browns because uh, as we brought up, ever, ever since Baker Mayfield got under center, it, it's been like the light at the end of the tunnel for you guys. You're on the positive end for the first time in a long time on the win and loss record. Y'all have a lot going for y'all. Y'all are looking strong. Finally, y'all look like an NFL team and not a Pop Warner team. I'm going to just start off by saying that was a fun game to be at. I was very happy I was at that game because that place went bananas as soon as he came in. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I mean – all 25 fans, I guess. <laughs> Dude, that's not, that stadium was sold out. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that's what was really cool. I, I, I was doing YouTube videos um, earlier in the year, and that was – he was a player I highlighted because, to me, just the presence of, of, you know, of him coming into that organization made the difference alone because he was one of the first players – and and I'll throw this name out there, even though I know a lot of people will be like, Ugh. he was one of the first players since Johnny Manziel that really kind of like put himself in the city, even though it actually hurt Johnny Manziel because he couldn't stay away from the drugs and the alcohol and all of that. But yeah. Baker Mayfield has just committed to that program so much that even with all the, the garbage going around it and, and the front office side of things, he still managed to keep the the players' minds solid and going forward, and and I think that's a, a really commendable thing for such a young quarterback. It is, and I'll just start off by saying uh, the major difference between Manziel and Mayfield is Manziel had everything given to him. Yeah, I mean everything was a silver spoon since birth, and Baker Mayfield worked his ass off at uh, Texas Tech and then Oklahoma, won the Heisman. I mean, never never got a scholarship until he won the starting job. Yep. Well, another and big I mean, difference. All, everything he's worked for. Well, I think the immediate big difference, and besides that, I mean, that's obviously what helps define a, a person's character is the, is the trials you've gone through as a person. But I think the moment you saw him step on the field, the number one highlight to me is is arm accuracy because let's be fair, Baker Mayfield can put that ball on point where Johnny Manziel very much like Dak Prescott is, is more accurate with his legs, if you will. Now Dak Prescott has done really well about getting better with accuracy and we see that with their play, but Menzel, it just felt like he never wanted to, to improve all aspects of his game where Baker Mayfield, when he came in, we knew he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but he could run. He could extend the play. But the most right. important part is when he extended the play, he could make that pass that needed to be made where Johnny Manziel was so accurate and threw more interceptions and made bad decisions where we're seeing Baker Mayfield not do that. Yeah, but if you watch these last two games, you're seeing Baker not have to do that as much. Which is important. That was one of Greg Williams. Yeah, that was one of Greg Williams' big things. Is he he goes? I don't care if it's the wrong decision. Make quick decisions. Learn if it's a mistake. Learn from. 
Well, make your decision and have confidence in it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's been doing the last two games, and he's been on fire. And I think that's important because, uh, you know, one of the biggest weaknesses <laughs> for me in, in Cleveland, and me and you have talked about this before, and, and you had some better insight on it than I did, was was that front line that's actually protecting Mayfield. Because to me, one of the best lines in the game and has been for years, in my opinion, is that New England front line. And that's because when you have a, a quarterback like Tom Brady who who can't really extend those plays as well, you have to make sure he has time in the pocket. I'm not expecting to see the Browns throw up a front line like that. But, I mean, isn't that kind of what you want is a front line that can give him time between the tackles to make the proper decision? Oh, absolutely. And it hurts my heart every Sunday thinking of what that line could be if Joe Thomas was still on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and to, to give him credit, <clears throat> Robertson has filled in beautifully these last two games. Yeah. All around wonderful game against uh, not Atlanta, the Bengals. <clears throat> and it's just, he he's looked since he's been in there, the left tackle position has looked solid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, I want to take a break and and let the people listening know, hey, guys, the way we make this podcast better is by having information sent in and let us know things you want to talk about. I'm always an open book, and I'd love to talk about subjects you have. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can hit that you know, support tab down there. And my URL is anchor.fm slash William 93. If you want to get me directly from anchor, Um, of course, you know, wherever you're listening to this from, you will always have that opportunity to support this podcast. Now, Josh, one thing that I've noticed about the Browns is that for the first time in a long time, we've seen the city kind of rally around them. You've always had, the dog pin. You've always had those big nasties, those those people that would show up to the game. It, even last year, when y'all when y'all had that perfect record, um, the <laughs> thing is, is it, it's almost like a resurgence in the city, and and that's really good because you know Cleveland, the Cavs aren't looking too hot. The Indians are, always are are consistent, but the team that the city seems to care the most about are the Browns and. And as a fan and someone that lives in the area, how has that impacted and affected the, you know, the community and, and the people that show up to that stadium? So I wouldn't necessarily classify it as almost like a re- resurgence. This has always been a Brownstown. Cleveland has. Even, even when the, the Cavs won, it was still a Brownstown. That's the biggest gripe is um, with the Indian with Indians. They're always saying, "Why can't we fill the stadium? Why can't we fill the stadium?" Well, when we were filling the stadium, when we had that 455 game streak, you sold out, sold out games. Yeah, it's because it was between 95 and 99 when we didn't have a football team. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the Browns fans have always been in with the Browns. I think. The difference now is we have a little thing that we like to refer to as hope. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We haven't had that in a very, very, very long time. Well, I mean, not to jump away from the Browns, but, you know, <laughs> talking about Cleveland, me and you've discussed this the other day. Um, you know, right now we're in the middle of the uh, the Bryce Harper lottery. You know, and, and you made it very clear, and now the Indians have made it very clear. They're not willing to spend the money to bring in uh, what I call an all-star talent you know, like a Bryce Harper into that organization. And I think that also uh, affects sales uh, at the ballpark because you're talking merchandising. Do you know how many people would actually buy a Bryce Harper Indians jersey in that city? Because it's been a long time since since the Cleveland Indians have had what I call that superstar, that person that – Well, they got him now. They got him now. Frankie Lindor. Frank, Frankie Lindor? Yeah, is pretty darn close to being one of the faces of the major, of major league baseball right now. Well, and, and yeah, if he isn't already. Yeah, well, and that's that's my thing is, you know, what I'm referring to is is kind of that immediate impact. I mean, you bring in a kid like Bryce Harper, and immediately you're going to have people showing up to the stadium to see how he see how he plays for that organization. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I've always uh, everyone the Yankees suck. <laughs> so, but let's, let's give them credit is what the Yankees do is, is they, they build them up in their minors and then they trade them off for uh, a person that can be effective immediately. The last person I know of, I think was Aaron judge and, and Derek Jeter are really the big names that have come through that, that farm club system there in New York and look at how well they've done. But Yet New York's been notorious for years about building up their talent in their farm clubs and then trading them off to bring in someone that can have a more instant impact. And I know we've kind of got off topic a little bit, but is that something that needs to happen to for Cleveland to get over that hump? I know this year, you know, they were looking good. And then if I'm correct, they got swept in the in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean it's they're they're gonna need something, but they're not. They're there's just. I mean, we're all used to it up here. They're not gonna spend for it. So I mean, I got an alert today that the Indians and the Dodgers are talking about a trade for Corey Kluber, which I think. And, yeah. Go I ahead. Mean, uh, I think you know just hearing that trade. You know, if if we see it happen awesome if not then you know we're back to that same thing of of money yeah and then like that one the front office has said that they're not gonna trade anybody unless it makes them a better team now i mean they're basically all in for the next two years yeah because then they got expiring contracts there's no way that they're going to be able to keep uh, Jose Ramirez. I mean, he's right now. He was what he would he finish third in the third or fourth in the MVP vote. Yes, and he's the lowest paid third baseman in the major leagues. There's no way he's going to come back. No, and and you know, 
there's no way that we that we're going to be able to afford Francisco Lindor when his contract's up in three years. Yeah, uh, you know, right now, I mean, Cleveland does have they they have some some players there, some core players that could really you know make a difference. I just think that they need a little bit more to kind of bring it all together, you know, because right now, if Cleveland wanted Bryce Harper, I mean, they're going against the Phillies, they're going against the Braves, they're going against the Yankees. Uh, even the Cubs have been interested. So, you know, there's some big names out there that I, the Indians just aren't going to bid against those teams because when it comes down to a bidding war, let's be frank, Cleveland's not not known for going out there and, and throwing a lot of money at it. No, and the biggest, and we discussed this before, the biggest signing that they've ever had was the Encarnacion deal two years ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, um, you know, with with the fact that y'all are going to run into my Red Sox with Mookie Betts is still there, J.D. Martinez is still there. The only player that really didn't sign back with us was our closer, and he said he wanted to test the free agent market, um, which, to be fair, you know, he could wind up in, in, in Cleveland just for the simple fact that he didn't have a great showing in the ALCS, didn't have a great showing in the World Series. So he's not going to get as much as I think he wants. But he is an open an, an open target that Cleveland can bring in to kind of help with that bullpen. Yeah, and they're going to need all the help they can get because, I mean, the three guys that we used the hell out of last year was um, the closer, Cody Allen. He's gone. And then uh, Andrew Miller, we could, and he's gone. So, and then the third guy, I think we just had a plug-and-play guy. Yeah. That isn't – he's still on the team, but it's – Well, having – not really – Having that, not... that plug-and-play guy is, is actually such useful. Utility guys are amazing. You know, you look at uh, – you know, I'll use Andrew Benintendi for the Red Sox for that reason. Like when we're playing a National League team, Andrew Benintendi can sit out there and play, you know, right field and left field. And, and you see the Red Sox do that a lot. And I think that's what made us such a formidable force this year. And that I think that's what kind of threw the Dodgers off was that, you know, we had a plan where, when when we're running DH rules, we have Ben Attendee in the outfield and you have J.D. Drew hitting as your DH. But the moment we switched over playing NL rules where we didn't have a DH, we just put J.D. Martinez out there. And, you know, that made a big difference. So I think those utility players are kind of under underrated for what they can bring to an organization. But that's just it. They have to step up and they have to, when they get their opportunities, step in and do something. And we couldn't get that against the uh, Astros from our starting, from our everyday starters, let alone our playing play guys. Yeah, it was it was it was hard to watch. All right, Josh. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, but I do have a question for you. All right. Yeah. So you're Cleveland Browns. What do you think? And and I just want to know. As of right now, what you know, what do you see their final record being this year? And what do you think they need to do during the offseason to to make a, a better run for next year's season? 
All right. So right now, y'all four, six, and one. Four, six, and one. We got five games left. Two in division against teams we've already beaten in our division. Um, realistically, I'd say we split those. We got a tough meeting against the uh, Houston coming up this week, this Sunday. And then after that, I think we got the Panthers, which, I mean, it's either a a good team to run into or a bad team to run into. It seems to differ from week to week. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then we got uh, a Broncos team that is kind of waking up in the last few weeks here. Well, to be honest. So, realistically, I think – I think we can still squeeze out three more games in here, making us uh, seven, six, and one. Seven, eight, and one. Oh, excuse me, seven, eight, and one. Yeah. Um, so that being said, with the off season approaching, you know, like you said, we there's still five games there, but we know Cleveland's off season unless unless y'all squeeze into the playoffs. What what do you see that needs to come into that organization to to help them out to kind of get them over that hump? Uh, first things first, we probably going to need, uh, shore up our wide receiver crew. Um, we were, when Richard Higgins went out, we were, we were signing kids from the street. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, probably going to have to do the same thing in our secondary because I think we're using some of the training staff back there at corner. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. So out of those positions, probably wide receiver, um, secondary. And then after that, I would say shore up, depending on how these next five games roll out, shore up some of that offensive line. Maybe right tackle, left tackle, maybe give um, that Austin that they drafted, that tackle that they drafted, give him a shot at either right or left tackle. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, I think that's it. I think you, you've got to give, you know, so you got to get that, the defensive core kind of rebuilt. But I think the biggest issue we run into with that is all the new regulations that make attacking the quarterback so much harder. Yeah. I, it really, it really hasn't impacted us. I mean, we've, We've been able to get after the quarterback. Well, yeah. Hey, everybody. This is William with the Fans Perspective. Um, I was just doing an episode with Mr. Joshua Gray. And unfortunately, it looks like we got disconnected. Um, So what I'm going to say is that Josh is a good friend. And that uh, I hope to have him on a little bit more as we see the Browns progress. and, And we see that Cleveland atmosphere kick up. So, guys, I appreciate it, and I I hope that I get more and more listeners. This is something I'm really passionate about and want to do. So, I thank you all for listening, and um, hopefully I can get Josh back in here very shortly to to get get another episode for you guys. All right, guys. Once again, this has been William with The Fan's Perspective. Don't forget, you can email me at fansperspective01 at gmail.com to shoot me any suggestions, and um, I'll do some research on it, and we'll get another person in here and talk about it. Hey, guys, I really appreciate it, and y'all have a good day.